Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Illico Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Laney, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Rafe Blanford. I'm Ewan McLeod. Recorded on the 20th of September 2018, this is Season 15, Episode 7, and this week we're closing down our cryptocurrency challenge. We're reflecting on why it didn't work. And we're telling you what we've done since. Chaps. Woo! Ray Flanford. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. I am <laughs> livid with you. Absolutely livid. Oh, I can see the disappointment etched across your features. In January, you said you were just popping out to the loo. I have been sat here for eight months <laughs> waiting for yeah. you to come back. Sorry about that. I've been a bit busy recently. That was either the longest we in history or. <laughs> Wait, Asha, don't. Let's not. Hello, everybody. We are back. We are. Sorry for a bit of time away. Thank you for both the people who emailed in. No, we didn't have a row. No, Ewan hasn't been arrested for financial crime. No. No, our laptop didn't break. Yes, we do know how to make a bloody podcast. Uh, sorry, we've just been really busy, which I think is pretty much the answer to all of the inquiries that we've had. Yes. Also, thank you to all the Patreon supporters who got in touch and... Said, so what's happening? <laughs> yeah, we're now commenced to drain your PayPal account. Asked what was happening, but also uh, offered suggestions of things they'd like to hear about. That was really good. So, gentlemen, it's been an awfully long time. And just before we go on, we are going to close out season 15. So we were in the middle of season 15 back in January. But we on season 18 now, basically. Well, we were doing season 15. And as a man who works in finance and therefore is very good with numbers knows, what comes after 15 is... No, I'm just saying it feels like 18. I see. Emotionally, it feels like season 18. mentally, yes. But it is, in fact, 16. So this is the final episode of season 15. We are going to close out our cryptocurrency challenge. you remember that? I do. No, no, neither do I. So we're going to close that out. We're going to talk about what we did and why, wrap this all up, and then we're going to get back to recording on a nice regular schedule. And we'll talk about that at the end of this episode. But in the meantime, let's quickly recap. Ewan McLeod, what has happened in the last couple of months of your life? Anything exciting you want to share with us? Um, Good. Okay, Rafe (laughs) Lanthorne. (laughs) <laughs> all right you could have prepared me for that anything exciting well no family family okay. and work there we go family and work yes yes pretty much the same for me yes it's been a busy old time i was trying to work out if we could do excuses for why the podcast has been away so long and it reads like the um the wives of henry the eighth you know sick sick died uh you know <laughs> I mean, it's basically the same for me apart from no family but in all work yes absolutely rafe blanford has been single-handedly running the organization as far as i can tell it's been a busy old time but yeah we're what? trying to get some work-life balance back because uh, i'm hard to hard to believe this isn't any of our full-time gigs and uh <laughs> here we are back at the microphones so yeah. you mcleod whilst you've been mm. away tell me one exciting piece of tech kit or something interesting that could substitute for about 15 things of the week have I, well, have I told you about my lawnmower? I can't remember. No, you haven't told us about your uh, lawnmower. Oh, that's awesome then. Right, okay. You so have told I, me about your lawnmower, but you haven't told the listeners about your lawnmower, and it's them that we care about. 
In, well, of course, indeed, right. So I have a Robo mower, Robo lawn mower thing, and it, it is brilliant. It's just uh, my uh, my wife Hetty. She said to me a little while ago, "It's not your wife Hetty. It's a small green lawnmower. Come on, be, you need to be much more precise about this." <laughs> she because the, the, basically the winter was fine, right? And then all of a sudden, spring came. The grass started growing. We just moved into this place, and I thought, "Oh no, I'm gonna." And then it was getting longer and longer. And she said, "You better do something about that." As in, you know, fine and great. So I decided to go out and buy a robo lawnmower. <laughs> because you couldn't just cut it with a lawnmower like a normal person. Well, I didn't own a lawnmower here in Denmark, you see, right? So that was my justification. I did a little bit of research and then went and bought a Bosch. And it's awesome. It's really, I, I strongly, strongly recommend it. It's interesting, the amount of people that I know who have one now is, is quite a lot, quite a lot. And there is a bit of faffing around at the minute because they're not, you think they have sensors. You have to lay a wire. With that has to have an electric signal going through it around your lawn. And that was quite annoying. I should have read the manual, so I had to do it three times. When you say you have to do that, what you mean is you have to employ somebody to do that, presumably? Well, no, apparently you can get people that would do that, and I would have paid for that. I certainly, yeah, having done that, that was quite annoying. But once you've done it, uh, it is a thing of genius. You just take the app. The Bosch is really cool because it, it runs, it's got an embedded SIM. So it runs on, the mobile app actually connects to the device. You just press mow, and then a little thing comes out of its little holder, and then the thing spins up and starts cutting. And it cuts in brilliant, brilliant shapes. It's awesome, awesome. I, I don't really understand. Don't you have someone to mow the lawn for you? Because that's going to be a lot of wire to get around the Blanford estate. Exactly. I mean, can't you just, like... Rafe's got several acres of wire. Well, Can't you just yeah. get the cows and the sheep to do it? Yeah, that's true, but that wasn't an option for me, I'm afraid to say, Blanford, unlike others, right? Oh, right. So I think if you have less than an acre... Or no sheep. It's probably quite useful. But I don't know if you know what that is. Sorry. If you have less than 0.26 hectares, then I'm trying to speak in your language here, Blanford, then it's useful. Fantastic. And so it's a Bosch robo-mower, yeah. and it just does whatever. It, does it cope with the rain? I, think, I mean, the one thing I remember well, you don't about... Well, do you don't do it in the rain. Don't, well, just because the grass goes everywhere in the rain. You know, it's better when it's dry. No, I don't, I don't mean cutting in the rain. I mean, like, can you leave it outside? Oh, you leave, you yeah, you leave it I think out. I think I'll take it in for the winter when it gets really cold. Like an old dog. Because <laughs> <laughs> I won't use it during the winter. I think that's... But it, yeah, yeah, leave it out in all weathers. It's been yeah. it's perfectly fine. And it's really good. In the winter where you are, it's like knee-deep snow though, isn't it? So it's just somewhere under a foot of it's snow. It's a robot somewhere, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I will bring it in probably in about a month or two. All right, Ben, what have you been buying? Mm. I've been trying to think. I've, I've, um, what have I been buying? Cameras. You got some cameras? I did. I did. So I got some Arlo Pro cameras. I'm going to talk about them in the next episode because the first episode of season 16, we're going to come back and talk about home automation. So I will talk about those. What else have I been doing? Uh, Well, as we record, tomorrow is new iPhone day. Very excited about that. So getting my XS Max. (gasps) What? A new iPhone? How exciting. Mm. I'm excited. I'm going to go to Regent Street and collect it like with the queues. I'm going to high five everybody. But it's just oh a talk release. I mean, it's not no, it's not a big deal. Look, Rafe, you, you have to have the best things. Come on, how am I the one in the podcast who's talking about having to have the latest thing, you and McLeod? Well, I, I tell you what. How I, times change. I, well, I just I wasn't very impressed. Like, what's next? What's new? And uh, I, I really don't like the name. Right, this X, um, so what was it? MS, S, I can't even remember. It, so XS Max. That sounds like a very, very rubbish car. That lots does. of people drive around 
particular roads here or there in the UK. That's a GTI gear, you know, plus. I mean, this is what Apple have done. I think it's really annoying. This is a reasonable criticism. So I like the experience. I like finding the stuff that Apple hasn't made headline features, because you said to me before we started recording, what are the new features? And I'm like, well, there are some, but they're not that impressive. But I like the way that Apple kind of makes everything 10% better, because you don't mm. think, oh, wow, look at this new feature, but right. it's quicker, it's more reliable, the photos just come out better every time. And I'm on the Apple upgrade program, so I'm going to pay about the same every month for the phone, regardless which one I have. I might as well get the new one. But I'm also getting the, the watch as well. So that, that'll arrive on Saturday. That's the more interesting announcement, particularly with the FDA approval and the new sensors in it and the new form factor. That feels like a big update. And if you were on a Classic or a Series 2, that feels like a, a worthy upgrade. I have a stainless steel original version, wow. which you teased me about, Ewan. But I, I, I did, actually, I did. I and how do you feel now? Well, I, I liked it, but it's, yeah, it's for definitely, like minutes. It's definitely paid its way, but it's been in a drawer for a while now. So I'm looking forward to a new one. And I'm getting the cellular version as well this time, just for fun, basically. But we'll talk about more. Those, those are coming out tomorrow. So we'll have those in the next 48 hours. And we'll talk about those more in a future episode. Ray Blanford, anything cool that you've got in the meantime? I think the thing that caught my attention was the Oculus Go, which is kind of the standalone VR headset that got announced back at Facebook F8. Have you got one? And I bought one pretty much straight afterwards. Wow. And one of the things I used it for was watching the Football World Cup. And the BBC released an application that allowed you to basically sit in various places in the stadium and watch the coverage you know, using a cool. VR headset. And it's one of the first live VR experiences that I've had. And I thought it was pretty effective. And for me, the Oculus Go, I mean, it's about £200. It gets away from the faff of having to put your phone in and running out of charge and just being all a bit fiddly. The experience is still relatively lo-fi compared to something like the full Oculus or uh, HTC Vive, but there's just enough improvements that you can really start to see the promise of it. And moreover, there's quite a lot of content in there available now because people have been producing things. So while it's still very clunky, what I liked about it was it was just ready to go. You switched it on, the audio's built into it, so you don't have to worry about headset and all that sort of stuff. It kind of just works as a VR experience. And at that price point, it gives people more of a chance to experience. And I think the first experience of most people of VR has been Google Cardboard, which frankly has been disappointing. This just sets that boundary so people can suddenly start going, okay, that's fun to do. In particular, say with that kind of live content starting to come to life, I can start to see more of the fuss around VR now. Did you hear about Firefox reality? Uh, No, I didn't. It's Firefox's new virtual reality browser. Hmm. I don't know very much about it. It was announced today, so mm-hmm. which is why you're allowed to look uh, a bit confused. A bit blank. A bit blank. Yeah. I'll throw a link in the show notes because we're going to have show notes, I've decided. Excellent. But made loads of resolutions about making this thing better. Mm. But Firefox Reality, they've actually released a browser that you can use in a VR environment. And I'm not entirely sure I understand why that's a good thing yet, but I do see the video playback example mm. as interesting and starting to actually rather than just walk around an environment, have you be static, but have the things around you in a way that makes sense. Really interesting. So that was cool. Well, let's talk about cryptocurrency then, because we need to. Let's get a few headlines out of the way first. We have ended the cryptocurrency challenge prematurely. Yes? Absolutely. Is that agreed? Well, but yeah. I think I won, though, right? Well, no, I think, I think we all lost. <laughs> I think this, I mean, is, this is the one challenge that I think we all were losers. Let's put some headlines on this because the kind of cryptocurrency landscape has changed markedly since we 
last recorded an episode we were talking about it and the bubble was sort of in the process of bursting i need to make an apology okay oh yeah in the last episode we recorded we you ta- failed your mass <laughs> spectacularly in the last episode we recorded we talked about what would have happened if we had just put our money into ethereum oh, at yeah. the beginning of the yeah. season and yes. we ummed and erred and wowed the huge amount of money it was going to be millions and I got my maths wrong. I added an extra zero on, oops. oops, sorry, this is what happens when you clumsily transpose how many times something is versus how many percent something is. Now, it was still lots and lots of money, enough to have been very, very impressive, but it wasn't as much as I said. So, uh, yeah. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. It could have been. It could have been that. It, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. moving yeah, on yeah. from um, <laughs> Ben's bad math. It is worth saying that in that same time period since we last recorded, cryptocurrencies have sort of got through quite a bad period, just to put some numbers on it. When we were last talking about it, market capitalization, 800 billion. That was up from sort of 18 billion a year before. Ewan, you know how he apologized to us for not having done research at the beginning of this episode? He's just done research. While we were doing our intro, he's done blinking research. Anyway, it's now down to 200 billion. So it's yeah. gone, you know, 25% capitalization of what it was. Can I put that into, into words for the challenge? We said that we weren't going to do investment because we don't do investments. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting that the value was going up and down, but we were going to try and other things to do with it. Yeah. But the change in value dominated cryptocurrency so much, it meant that you couldn't use it for anything else no. because it was fluctuating so wildly. No one would seriously take it as a payment mechanism because if I bought a Mars bar, it could be worth a thousand pounds tomorrow <laughs> and then 50p the next day. And so many people were piling and putting their time and attention into investment. Actually, it was all about the ups and downs you're describing. Absolutely. And actually, I think one of the, I mean, whether you call it a burst bubble or not, actually, I think it's quite good for cryptocurrencies because it means kind of the speculators and the traders have gone away. Mm. And actually, you can now concentrate on it for some of the more serious things. You know, if you think about the wider blockchain landscape, you've seen the same thing effectively happen with the initial coin offerings that we talked about a little bit. And so I just think, you know, our crypto currency chances kind of come to an end because we missed eight months worth of recording. But it's worth sort of saying, actually, it's still out there. There's still a lot of positive headlines around it. And I do wonder if it's something we should maybe revisit in six months or so where we'll be able to sort of do it properly and not have it be about you and trying to lose money through speculation or me basically managing to destroy my Bitcoins. Let's pause briefly and ask you to recount the story. In my mind's eye, I hear loot music and, you know, tell us the tale of roast Bitcoin, granddad. You know, we sit around the campfire. Right. So as people may remember, I went and bought Bitcoin out of a vending machine effectively in Brick Lane. And that, that vending machine is still there. It's looking very sad next to the frozen peas. So I ended up with a, a paper wallet. Unfortunately, I put that paper wallet in my trouser pocket one day, forgot about it, oh. and probably put it through the washing machine. So I quite literally laundered money, my Bitcoin money. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time it came out, it wasn't really very recognizable. And the kind of code on it in order to get into that wallet wasn't really readable. I did try a couple of times, but yes, I quite literally washed away my Bitcoin. And oh how, how much God. Bitcoin had you bought? Well, at the time it was about £10. Now it's about 50p. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So you, you're not a man of no. significant financial means now, or, or you, I'm afraid not. You've missed out of significant financial means. Mm. 
you inadvertently destroyed your Bitcoin. We've agreed that it wasn't usable for anything other than sort of speculation because of the wild fluctuation. I was a bit shaken by the stories that came out about the huge amount of power consumption that it took and was worried that we might be... Killing the planet? Well, inadvertently sort of promoting gas-guzzling cars, you know, that mm. for years and years go, wow, look at that amazing car. And then sort of some element of sort of responsibility comes along and you say, ah, it might be fun or it might be clever, but it's not a very responsible thing to do. So have we got to a position where we know whether that is a fact or just sort of anti-crypto currency noise? Well, I think the inevitability about Bitcoin is it does require more and more resources to mine. I don't think that's necessarily should be taken as a negative about using Bitcoin in general, because the kind of running things and transactions across the network isn't quite the same thing. It was the mining specifically that could be seen as environmentally or resource unfriendly or unfortunate. Even so, that remains a fact of a lot of the crypto-based things. You know, the fact is it does need computational power to run these things, and that does not come for free. And Ewan, we talked about how you were okay to do the cryptocurrency challenge because we were going to try and use it to do interesting things with. Yes. But you're actually prohibited from doing certain types of investments and that kind of stuff anyway, aren't you? So how do you look at it now? We've sort of seen how it's played out. So after we talked, then some banks have introduced a, a prohibition on cryptocurrency from a speculation standpoint, and mine included. Just because it is not uncommon for, for many financial institutions to prevent or to require that all of their traders or in some cases all their employees do not speculate with anything, you know, not just cryptocurrency, especially if, you know, if they're creating markets or, or market making. And so it's just it's not the right thing to do. It's in many cases legal. So with the cryptocurrency speculation, I think we've seen many institutions say, well, hold on a minute, this, this is not good. And um, some institutions have wanted to be whiter than white. And I think that's the right approach. So you know, some individuals are prohibited from speculating or, or trading in Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency for the purposes of, or just cryptocurrency, purely because of the speculation issue, right? In that you don't want to think people in your bank are speculating wildly on stuff. And because of the stories and the reality of Bitcoin, when I was watching my, what was it, 200 pound portfolio go to 300 pounds and 400 pounds and Back no. down to two hundred pounds, oh. and then up to three hundred pounds. Yeah, that that. So that was um, immensely, you know, modest speculation there. Well, it wasn't deliberate, of course, but I, I think <laughs> he that, said if the re- if the regulation. He said it was deliberate. Sorry, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> so, but uh, mo- most institutions have some kind of clause or facilities saying, look, if you want to you know, genuinely use and experiment and demonstrably test with cryptocurrency, that's perfectly fine. So, for example, my organization has that. You just have to seek the relevant approvals. So I have that and some of my colleagues have that just so that we're covered. But yeah, the speculation I think has really damaged it in many eyes. Other, other people I, I know are delighted with the speculation aspect. But actually that speculation, the, the fact that that's kind of gone away a little bit from cryptocurrencies in general. I mean, we've seen about a thousand cryptocurrencies go defunct in the last six months. And obviously yeah. the big ones are still there, whether that's Ripple or Ethereum or Bitcoin. Mm. But I think the problem is that so much damage was done by that kind of speculation that yeah. it has kind of put people off or it's damaged the brand. It's in the consciousness now, isn't it? Yes. And for something that was so present in the market and so present in people's mindset at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, actually it's quite hard to find things to do with cryptocurrency. And that's the overwhelming conclusion from the challenge for me. 
if I wanted to do something, actually I had to work quite hard at it. And yeah. for something that was so, you know, front of mind and so much in the media, you know, it was all about the speculation. I do think there is now an opportunity for cryptocurrency kind of to shrug off some of that speculative past and, yes. and move forward. But I've been looking around and there, there just isn't that much. And the, the stuff that becomes interesting is actually the blockchain in general. And people yeah. have been talking about this with Ethereum and saying there's actually a possibility that the kind of the currency value of Ethereum goes to nothing, but actually the smart contracts that operate across it are still very much going to be relevant. And there is this ability for there to be effectively shared global infrastructure for defining and making apparent the ownership of property, whatever that might be. And that can be in logistics supply chain. It can be in tracking art or anything else you might choose to mention. But the actual use of it as a currency, I'm not suggesting it's going to disappear, but that's suddenly become, okay, that's the thing that was in cryptocurrencies youth. And actually now it becomes more about the things, the applications you can build on top of it. So we talked about buying things. We talked about using it for money transfers. We talked about all these things. And I couldn't find anywhere that it was interesting or novel to do those things. Trying to apply for a debit card that was backed by Bitcoin was incredibly difficult because the few startups that were creating these products that used, you know, cryptocurrencies for something other than, than speculation, you know, obviously firms like Coinbase and things like that became huge because they allowed you to buy it and trade it. And they became huge because they had lots and lots of people using them. But the other products seemed to really struggle to get any traction and they were very immature. In most cases, I couldn't even actually get the products to work or complete the application process. Um, some of them did sort of basic you know, background checks and things. And even though I provided all the evidence, it broke along the way. So definitely speculation has completely dominated the use of it. But I was also curious, Rafe, because if you step back and say, oh, well, you know, it was all speculation and it's not interesting unless you're interested in speculation. And we said that we weren't going to look at that. If, it's, if people want to do that, then great. We just lack the skills and the expertise to talk about it. Actually, speculation aside, has the cryptocurrency sort of gold rush actually generated anything better? Because people talk a lot about the blockchain, this underpinning technology. But is it really better than the things we already had? Terence Eden, friend of the show and all-round fun chap, wrote a really interesting blog post about how he found a startup that was putting the ownership of art or the details of pieces of artwork on the blockchain. And he managed to get himself registered as the painter of the Mona Lisa, which he's, <laughs> you know, he's clearly not. But the point was that once it was in their blockchain, that couldn't then easily be undone. And so what he was demonstrating was really the blockchain it actually isn't better than a well-run database for that purpose. And so what purposes does it serve where the characteristics it has makes it better? Because in most cases, that data could be captured, records could be stored, you know, incremental transactions. They're already things we know how to do. I think that's fair in one sense, but that's really a reflection of the fragility of getting things onto the blockchain in the first place. It doesn't stop. I mean, the very fact that it, it is meant to be immutable and that it's meant to be kind of a shared ownership on a global infrastructure. That's what's interesting about it. Help me out with the word immutable. Um, non-changing. Could have said that. Okay. That's, for me, what's interesting about blockchain, because it comes back to being about trust. And in the digital era, that is probably the single most important thing. We are living in a world where it's ever more about transactions that happen in the digital space. And actually going forward, it's going to be about the rise of transactions and automation and delegation happening on your behalf 
And actually, trust becomes more important than, and particularly for financial institutions, is how can you trust that the actor who is who they say they are, that you're getting what you want. And having the blockchain for that kind of record that's immutable, but also that is in a shared global infrastructure is interesting. But you are absolutely right to say the way things get on there, you know, there is still going to be a human element that is fragile to that. And I think that's what interests me there was a mechanism for immutable data, something that you can rely on once it's been created. You can come up with interesting use cases for but then you assume that you have this flawless mechanism whereby you can capture this data. And so a mechanism that has a dependency on something which can never exist, a flawless and completely reliable identification, like in Terence's case, you know, a system that absolutely ensures that the correct person is registered as the artist, do you just move the failures to a slightly different place in the architecture? You do, although I would bear in mind that some things are more suited for that. So transactions that can be demonstrated to have happened or data that can be collected from sensors or you know, a reliable source is interesting. And yeah, technology is never going to be perfect. But what's interesting about all of this for me is it is moving away from currency. And one of the things we talked about very early on was this some new form of storing and exchanging value And we kind of came to the conclusion we didn't see that much that was good about it, apart from the fact it moved away. It was a decentralization argument, in particular around regulation. And yet it's been demonstrated mainly because there are humans involved. Actually, kind of deregulation isn't always a good thing. And there's a reason that kind of central banks and all of that have existed and have survived for so long. I still think there is absolutely a possibility we will see this technology used going forward. But I think it will. Know, whether it's for fiat currencies or anything else, it was the fact that it was these new startups that, you know, or these new currencies appearing out of nowhere, not really being backed by any true value, was problematic because the institutions behind them, the very nature of the decentralization, meant that ultimately it was just speculating about nothing. We talked about kind of uh, the bubble and whether that was in stocks and shares, you know, the South Sea one or tulips in the, the Netherlands or something like that. There has to be a trust in what's backed. And that's kind of been the thing that has let cryptocurrency down, together with basically the fallibility of humans wanting to speculate and make money. It's kind of unfortunate, but it strikes me as a shame that that has, I think, had a bad effect on all the surrounding technologies in terms of general public trust in it. Actually, if you look at the startup world, there are lots of people who are doing interesting things with the blockchain, which makes me think it's still very much an alive technology. You look at someone like Orchid, for example, they describe themselves as a distributed marketplace for computational resources, for storage, for bandwidth and things like that. And, you know, I don't really understand all of what they do, but I do understand that they're backed by some big VCs like Sequoia, uh, Anderson Horowitz, and a few others. And you sort of go, there is still a lot of momentum out there, but it has almost completely disappeared from the public consciousness. And I think it will end up being one of those technologies that just silently disappears into the background, but ends up powering a lot of the future in terms of digital transactions and basically being the building block for trust in the future in the digital space. Okay, so we ended the cryptocurrency challenge. We didn't manage to achieve the things we wanted to to use it in the ways we hoped. Ray still believes, I'm sceptical, you and can't have an opinion for uh, regulatory reasons. Indeed. But what (laughs) did we do with our cryptocurrency? Let's relay the story. So Ewan, have you still got it? Uh, yeah, I think I used eToro to buy, and then I think I might have just dumped one account 
just because it went from I don't know 100 pounds to like 10 or something. So I think I think it just sold out and then put that 10 pounds into something else. I, I can't remember. You donated it to babies or something. Yeah, effectively. And then I also had some in Revolut. But yeah, it was minuscule. It was 50 euro each or something. 50 euro in Litecoin, 50 euro in Ethereum, 50 Ethereum, euro in yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah, so I still have them. It just I've just ignored them, basically. It's, like Rafe says, I haven't been able to find anything to do with it, other than having to hunt to find something. So yeah, I'm not bothered. What you, Ben? So I decided that this was not going anywhere. You know, one minute it was worth something, the next minute it wasn't. But I was fed up. We weren't having an effective cryptocurrency challenge. So I thought, I know, I'll go sideways. I will try and find other cool currency, new money type startups and see if I can find something better to do with it. And I, I made a little bit of headway. So I found a company called Glint who operates in the UK. They offer a gold-backed debit card, oh, which yeah. you put your money in in pounds or euros or dollars or whatever, and then you can buy gold with it and then if you want to, you can spend on the debit card spending the gold at today's gold price, or you can use it as a way to store value. And during the election of Donald Trump and the Brexit announcements, and those sorts of things, they were majoring not on it as a way to grow your money, but a way to insulate your money from the movement of individual currencies based on politics and those kinds of things. And how was it? Well, that seemed like a great idea. So eventually I wrestled my way through their verification system and filled out loads of forms and it was all just very hard and very immature and quite unreliable. And at one stage I thought it had broken and just gave up, but then a card arrived in the post. So I took all my cryptocurrency money, very arduously took it out of Coinbase, which turned out to be a real pain in the backside because they make it very easy to buy cryptocurrency and incredibly hard to take pounds out. Put it all into Glint and sort of watched it sit there. And right now it's sitting on a Glint card, having broadly unchanged in value. But again, I'm sort of, by actually trying to use it in practice, I'm realising sort of how, almost how pointless these things are. Because if I'd wanted to buy gold as a way to keep my money safe, if that's what I believed, there were tons of places that would sell me gold online. And if I wanted a prepaid debit card to spend on for, you know, my pocket money, my fun money, you know, make sure that when I go out for a night out, I only spend 50 quid because that's what I've put on my prepay card. I can get one of those from the local petrol station, you know, a visa, prepay visa card. So at this stage, it just feels like a sort of a half-baked idea. And so, you know, at the moment, all my cryptocurrency money went into gold. It's sitting on my Glint account. But actually, I think I will probably close that and just stop for the moment because it doesn't do anything, to put it bluntly. Well, apart from laundering my Bitcoin inadvertently. Actually, of the whole cryptocurrency challenges, that is the only thing I've really enjoyed. (laughs) (laughs) I I also had some Ethereum, which I basically blew on Crypto Kitties, which was sort of one of the fads that was happening at the time. (laughs) Did Crypto Kitties cost money then? Yes, they did. Did the people who thought of Crypto Kitties make a lot of money? Okay, they they made the money. And there was speculation on trading kitties back and forth because some were more valuable than others. And I think that kind of, for me, was the representation of the kind of madness that was kind of going on. And honestly, I can't remember what I've done with it now. I mean, it's sitting in, you know, a website, in a wallet or whatever somewhere, but it was never very much money. But I've kind of forgotten about it. And like you kind of thought, oh, I'll, I'll do other things and have spent more time doing fintech things. And, you know, actually Monzo has been an interesting thing recently because they've come on a long way at the same time. 
And if I think about like useful products that have improved my life and have been a useful thing to use, those things and some of the kind of associated other new banks, you know, whether they're business linked accounts or whatever, bring more joy to my life than cryptocurrencies ever did. And we talked about this in a previous episode, but I've gone full Monzo. So I've moved all of my Oh, this is interesting. I've moved all, and we'll cover this in it. We can talk about this again in another episode. Yeah, I want to hear about that. Yeah. Actually, I absolutely agree with Rafe that if you're just interested in innovation around finance, and I, I mostly am for curiosity's sake more than anything else, for me, practically usable stuff by normal people, which is a big caveat, but to the likes of us, you know, who, who don't do clever investing or don't have specific, you know, kind of needs, the startup banks are the most interesting place to be. So we've used Revolut loads for traveling. I used Curve as a front to all of my cards. And that's really cool. I'm going in on Monday actually to see the Curve guys. They've got some big news announcements. So we might be able to get some news from them or get some something for the podcast in the future, Ooh. which will be exciting. Uh, I'll let you know nice. how, that, how that conversation goes. And yes, I'm using Monzo, which is a really cool bank. And I love the fact that I can do everything on my mobile. So I don't have any silly authenticator, two-factor gizmos anymore. We need to talk about that. Yeah, let's, we'll, let's we'll talk about that if you want. And I've also opened a Starling bank account as well. And initially I was a bit dubious because I thought that they were just a sort of an old bank with lip gloss on. But actually I've been really impressed with those as well. And I think, again, content for a future podcast, I'm rapidly coming to the conclusion that there can be a meaningful difference in the way your bank behaves. So Monzo, for example, told Ticketmaster customers when their cards details were breached. And not only did they discover the fraud through their analytics and then announce it to the world, they ordered their customers new cards. And the same with the BA breach. And I think it's sort of the extra 1% that makes them different. They may have challenged making money and scaling, but right now, as somebody who's only interested in being a customer, I'm okay with that. It's a pretty good experience. So I think that's, for me, a scrap cryptocurrency challenge. We'll come back to a new banking challenge later on. Okay, so Rafe washed it. I put it into gold. Ewan's forgotten about it. Yep. The cryptocurrency challenge officially over. I think so. I think it was useful to do. And now we move on. I think we can come back to crypto. So if we were giving the listeners a bit of advice, I reckon if you know about cryptocurrency already, you're more than likely to know more than us. But if people are listening who haven't really dabbled in cryptocurrency or they've only really been listening to our story about it, what would you say to them about trying it? I think I would say you're not. I don't think you're missing out now. and You can calmly take some time and investigate how to do it and how to play with it. You, know, you could go and register a Coinbase account. You, know, you, you can still play with it. There's nothing wrong with that. And they're still around. And I, th- I think it's a curiosity at the moment for, for the majority. But we'll watch it. We'll watch it because I think there will be some innovation at some point in this sphere that will be relevant to all of us. Rafe? Well, I kind of expressed it earlier. I think as a form of currency, it is not going to suddenly take over the world in the next few years, as some people are kind of suggesting in 2017. But I think Euron's right. There will be particular use cases where it makes sense. But for me, actually, the damage that has been done by the kind of speculation around it is going to be difficult yeah. to dissociate from the kind of the mass market and from you know people going you know what's it about what's it for but the underlying technology remains just as relevant and is going to be a cornerstone of kind of innovation in the next few years and we're already seeing lots of startups in that space it's not something i consider myself an expert in at all but people i respect who are very smart you know are oh, still thank you still very much saying that kind of the blockchain 
and those kind of things are important. But what I have seen people stepping back from is kind of bold claims about cryptocurrency. And so, I mean, part of the reason I think we've stopped this challenge is because suddenly it's not sort of relevant. It's not a kind of a burning topic. Yeah. And, you know, 361 always likes to be on topic and relevant. So we need to uh, find out what our next challenge is going to be. And I think we would welcome suggestions from our listeners in that because we all know how much you enjoy putting us in either enterprising or difficult situations. So I'm sure we can find a nice prize for the person that comes up with the best challenge to uh, humiliate the three people on 361. Let me simplify that for you. Everyone has a limited amount of time and attention. Unless you're using cryptocurrencies for something very clever, don't bother. There's far more interesting things that you can do with it. Thank you, Ben. As always, succinct and to the point. There we go. Okay. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your patience while we've been away. You can find us on 361podcast.com. From there, you can link to our new community on an app called Twist, which we're using to talk to listeners and have listeners talk to each other. We're trying it out for a while. If you'd like to join us, come to 361podcast.com and you can find us there. You can also get our contact details to send us an email. Website's been revamped now, so it's a little bit simpler to do all of those kinds of things. And you can find us on at 361podcast on Twitter if you'd like to send us a message there. As ever, we really welcome your feedback. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new season. We'll be restarting the podcast in the normal way. Season 16 coming soon. Always interested in your thoughts on uh, what we should do. We will be covering off home automation at the beginning of season 16, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.